can't you? I mean, except for the just announced tax increases in both Waterloo and Cambridge. I sure hope city councilors' inboxes are blowing up like mine is. In fact, a co-worker just poked his head in here and said, have you gone off on this yet? I said, trust me. I have. Ain't nobody listening. I tried as hard as I could. but That's a whole other story. The song, Did You Know, because I'm sure you're familiar with the tune we just heard to start the show today. Endless Love, Lionel Richie, Diana Ross, peaked at number one on Billboard's Hot 100 charts for nine weeks back in 1981. But more to the point, according to Billboard magazine, that right there, my friend, is the greatest love song of all time. I know, lists are lists, and they are meant to cause controversy. You probably have a favorite love song or a meaningful love song of your own. But according to Billboard magazine, that one right there, Endless Love, is the greatest love song of all time. You may also know that the song was, of course, done for the movie Endless Love, Starring Brooke Shields. A little bit of background on that, though. Lionel Richie is called upon to compose an instrumental version of the song to the soundtrack of the movie Endless Love. And then the director thought, nah, instrumental, maybe not. Maybe we need some lyrics to go along with this. So he asks Lionel Richie, can you put some lyrics with it? Lionel Richie, being the good guy that he is, says, absolutely, I can put some lyrics with it. And then... He takes it one step further and says, you know what, Lionel, we could use not only lyrics, but a female singer with you on this song. Like, make it a duet. Could you get someone like Diana Ross? And Lionel Richie goes out and does it all. And the result is Endless Love, number one for nine weeks in 1981, and according to Billboard magazine, the greatest love song of all time. Now, I almost, I mean... That's what I defaulted to today, but I was so close to using this lesser-known, but I think still familiar tune as our starting song today. Listen carefully to the lyrics of this Janice Ian song. I learned the truth at 17 That love was meant for beauty 
Caught that right? The Valentines she never knew. The song called "At Seventeen by Janice Ian back in 1977 on this very day on Valentine's Day, 1977. Janice Ian received not one, not two, not even just three or four, but 461 Valentine's Day cards. After indicating in the lyrics to that song "At Seventeen." That she had never received any. The Valentines she never knew. 461 of them showed up on this day, February the 14th, 1977, to let Janice Ian know that she was loved. She was thought of on Valentine's Day. I hope yours is off to a terrific start this Wednesday, February the 14th. And why don't we take a look at your Farwell Show 5. Number one on that list today, the Kitchener Rangers snapped a three-game losing skid with a 4-3 win last night over Guelph. The Storm have now lost seven in a row. And, oh yeah, by the way, the Leafs played two, and they also won. Banked out in center ice, going towards the empty net! McMahon, it is Bobby McMahon, his first career Hattie, and the Leafs have a 4-1 lead, and are going to win it with secondary scoring. Um, who's Bobby McMahon? I mean, I know I was very much invested in the Rangers game last night, and I'm generally very much invested in the OHL period, but who's Bobby McMahon, and why did he score a hat trick last night? No Austin Matthews goals, but the Leafs do win 4-1. to one. Number two on your Farwell Show 5 this Valentine's morning. We are expecting about 10 centimeters of snow tomorrow. There goes Mother Nature's place on our Valentine's card list. Number three, the Upper Grand District School Board, Wellington Catholic District School Board, and the Waterloo Catholic District School Board have joined a growing list of Ontario school boards in moving their upcoming PA day to April the 8th. You see, we're going to have a solar eclipse on April the 8th. So rather than try to prevent the students from looking at the sun and possibly suffering an eye injury, the schools are going to tell the kids to stay home. In other words, making it the daycare provider's problem. Number four on your Farwell Show 5 this morning, the Waterloo Region District School Board being asked to review its human rights policy to include Islamophobia and anti-Palestinian racism to its existing human rights training. And number five on your Farwell Show 5 this Valentine's morning, your light rail experience in the region might just sound a little different today as KW Famous hosts a pop-up event on board the Ion that will feature saxophone music, flowers, and chocolate. And there is your Farwell Show 5. It is 9-12. I wonder if you heard about the pilot project and maybe 
you don't worry too much about this pilot project because it's going to be happening in the northwestern part of the province. LCBO locations in Thunder Bay, Sioux Lookout, and Kenora. However, it's called a controlled entrances pilot. And basically what it means is customers entering a store who appear to be under the age of 17 have to show government ID before even going inside. Forget at the checkout when you're making your purchase. Under this pilot project, you're going to have to show government ID before you can even enter the store. Uh, Excuse me? I says, pardon? I have some thoughts about this. Maybe you do too. We'll take a break and come back with more. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. Not sure if you heard yesterday afternoon, but I wanted to draw your attention to the new pilot program being launched by the LCBO here in the province. It is called the Controlled Entrances Pilot, and it's going to be introduced at six LCBO locations. Fortunately, for now, it's going to be confined to northwestern Ontario in the Thunder Bay, Sioux Lookout, and Kenora area. But I think, I mean, it's just my opinion, but I think we all should be concerned about this just a wee bit. So even though it's happening far, far away from here, and it is a vast province, so it is far, far away, we want to be keeping our eyes and ears on this and maybe, just maybe, pushing back a wee bit here. Because what the controlled entrances pilot is going to do is require you to show government-issued identification before you even enter the LCBO outlet. Now, in fairness, this is already in place in Manitoba, and at least something similar is. And what the LCBO, what the province of Ontario is telling us is that this program is necessary because there's been a rise in theft and violent incidents in the retail industry, and that, of course, poses a safety risk for employees and customers who are working and shopping in stores. Fair enough, to be sure. But where I struggle here, and these controlled entrances programs have demonstrated that it does reduce the amount of theft, which, again... I'm all for. What I'm not necessarily for, though, is being that person who is essentially assumed guilty as opposed to innocent, you know, innocence before guilt, like in the court system. I feel as though I am being presumed guilty before I even enter the store. Not to say also that we are going to be now sharing even more of our personal information before we even enter the store. So our name, address, postal code, all of that stuff ends up in the system of the LCBO. And listen, I get that we're being tracked plenty already. My credit card company knows that I was in the LCBO just the other day stocking up for the Super Bowl 
I get that. If you flash your Air Miles card in there, more personal information about your shopping habits and other things are being tracked. I, I get it. We've given away lots, but I don't know that we need to give away even more, again, before we even enter the store. I'm not necessarily comfortable with that, especially in this day and age of increasing cyber attacks. So we have yet another entity that is going to be tasked with protecting our personal information. But more than anything for me, it is what at least feels to me like the presumption of guilt before I even enter the store. You see, Farwell, there have been too many people doing bad things in here and creating an unsafe environment for employees and other shoppers. So even before you enter, we have to presume you're one of those people who's going to cause trouble in the store. I do not love this. I do not love this one little bit. I will not eat them, Sam. I am. I will not eat green eggs and ham. But the new pilot program is being introduced at six LCBO locations in northwestern Ontario. Again, just my opinion, but I'm not super cool with it. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. It is 9.26, four minutes away from an update in the City News Centre. And you know the minute that we start the show every day, phone lines open to you at 519-570-2545, star 570-1800-570-5715. Let's go to the phones now. Kevin, what do you make of this controlled entrances pilot at the LCBO? Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Hi. Uh, well, here is my question. At, at, at the point of entry, do we have to, like, swipe the cards to all that information to go to the system or somebody actually standing there, like, at a gas station and checking the picture, you know, see if it matches or not? Yeah, they're going to be scanning your card. Okay, so if there's a scanning card, then what is the point? Because anybody can grab another person who is over the age, can go and still get an access into the into this store. Well, it has to be, but it has to be government-issued photo ID, right? So Yeah, but for example, a younger guy can... Get his older brother's, you know, ID and like swipe it, and they still get to their store. I know maybe they may not be able to purchase it, but that kind of defeats the whole purpose. Because if not, somebody's actually checking their picture to make sure the person who's going to their store is the same as this. Anybody can swipe somebody else's card and go inside. I mean, kids do that. Well, I right? I think the idea though, Kevin, is there will be somebody there checking it on your way in. Oh, okay then. Yeah. That would be that would be another idea. Okay, so I thought maybe like people like swiping in and going. I understand what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they've got that scam already figured out. Yeah, but I think in general it's not a bad idea. Anything that kind of stops the younger age to go to get in there and get exposed to the brand and everything. I mean, it, I don't know how much it's going to help in a long time, but they're just trying to do everything they can. All right, Kevin. Appreciate the call. I'm I'm less concerned about that, and in fact. The provincial government even says that this program is being initiated because of a rise in theft and violent incidents in the retail industry. So they're far less concerned about underage drinkers getting into the store and perhaps getting their hands on alcohol. They're concerned about people causing a ruckus or causing disruption. And for me, as I said earlier, I just feel as though I'm being presumed guilty before I even enter the store. Terry, good morning. 
Mike, there was a time, and I'm going to age myself with this, that kids weren't even allowed to go into the electric store with their parents. I remember that time, Terry. I do. (laughs) So there's really no reason for underage youth to be in a liquor store. There isn't a product they can legally purchase. So why not put up uh, a barrier to them coming in and then sneaking a Mickey into their jacket or something and walking out with it? Yeah, you know what, Terry? Again, I get you. And sneaking the Mickey, I love the way you describe that. It's not about being of age. It's about theft and violent incidents in the retail industry, and that's what they're trying to crack down on. Brian, good morning. Hi, Mike. How are you? Hey, Brian. I'm good. How are you? Pretty good, thanks. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. Like, I don't love the idea. I kind of see where they're going with it. But, I mean, they're already... IDing people at the uh, when you, when you check out, and there's security in most of the stores, anyways. So why do we like? Well, I just I'm kind of like, why do we need to do this? Is it really necessary? I don't know. It seems like an overstep to me. I I found out something recently that I did not know about the LCBO, and that was. So I was in the store uh, with my daughter, who is 26 years old, but probably looks like she's about 16. I bought uh, three or four bottles of wine and handed her two to carry to the kiosk for me. So I didn't have to carry four bottles and risk dropping them. And when we got to the kiosk, we put them on the counter. I was paying for the order, and he asked my daughter for ID. And I said, well, I, it's just me making the purchase. And he, and he told me, because she was carrying the bottles, it's presumed that they were purchased for her. So she had to provide ID. So luckily she had her ID with her. She doesn't usually carry it even. But, yeah, I did not know that, that you, you can't even handle product in the store unless you're 19 years old. Absolutely true. We uh, probably close to a year ago now, but we covered that very thing because it happened to a woman in Toronto who I think placed something in a cart and her child touched the bottles in the cart. And this was like a toddler aged and yet by the letter of the law could not buy that alcohol then. Wow. Crazy. That, that is a bit, that's a bit crazy to me. It is. It is. Thanks for the story, Brian. Good to hear from you. Yep, good topic. Have a great day. And when it comes to this scanning at the LCBO, the store apparently is just going to keep your personal information for 14 days. Ah, so it's all better then, right? Just 14 days. Uh, An update from the City News Centre, and then thousands of elementary school students have been issued suspension notices for what? We'll talk about it coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. Our region's public health department has issued more than 18,000 suspension orders for elementary students in our community. The reason their vaccination records are not in order. David Aoki is the director of infectious disease and chief nursing officer with the region of Waterloo. Joins us to talk about it. David, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Why do we issue these suspension orders? This is a law in Ontario called the Immunization of School Pupils Act. So every health unit undergoes a yearly process where they review um, children's immunization records that have been submitted and then notify parents 
um, if their records are out of date. And then if um, no action is taken after the notification, then they do follow through with um, providing um, suspension orders to give parents kind of a, an update that if they don't follow through, they will their children will be suspended. I have to imagine, David, with the sheer number of suspension orders that we're talking about, more than 18,600, that really, in some cases, this is just a case of record-keeping and not actually being without those immunizations? That's completely true. Um, Most of the cases, historically, we've done this in Waterloo year over year for almost 20 years now. Um, We took a break during COVID, um, but historically... More than two-thirds of the records are just parents needing to submit the records and report them. We know the children are vaccinated, um, and we just need to get those records um, so we can have those in our system so we know that the schools are safe and that, and are protected um, should a disease enter. And I think you just alluded to the why here, that this is important for public health to stay on top of and follow up on. That's right. We, you know, Parents send their kids to school wanting to know that their children will be safe. And part of that, and the reason we have this act in Ontario, is to make sure that we can prevent infectious diseases. So with global travel, you know, we're not any more than 24 hours away from someone coming back to Ontario with a disease from another country that we don't often see here, like measles, um, mumps, rubella. Um, and this act helps provide some surety to parents that when their ch- children go to school, that the vaccines are helping protect, you know, their class and their community. I remember those immunizations and the records associated with them well from when I was a child. So I guess anybody of similar vintage would remember those MMR vaccines, right? And you just mentioned measles, mumps, rubella. Are those the immunizations specifically, David, that we're talking about in this case? Those are three of them. So there's nine diseases in total that we're protecting against. So measles, mumps, rubella, diphtheria, pertussis, tetanus, polio, meningococcal disease and varicella or chickenpox. So COVID-19 vaccines are not a part of this mandatory immunization record keeping? Not at all. The act is exactly the same as pre-COVID, so there's no COVID requirements to get vaccines. For those who may, because we talked about the number of people who just might not have updated public health or updated the records, etc., but the children have been vaccinated likely the lion's share of the students we're talking about here. For those, though, who have not, David, how does public health help to ensure that they do get vaccinated? Yep, so um, for anyone who's still outstanding with their vaccine, we've been running clinics, honestly, for the last two years. We, we did notification in previous years without suspending, so we were trying to get parents, give them a little bit of time to get up to date, understanding that with the shutdowns during COVID, you know, doctors going to virtual, that maybe there were missed vaccinations. Um, and we're still running clinics right through. Um, we've ramped up our clinics. Also, most of these, most of these vaccines, or almost all of these vaccines, can be got by your family doctor. Um, if you don't have a family doctor, walk-ins provide them as well. So there's lots of options for parents who are actually missing the vaccine to get them done. Are you surprised at all by the number? Again, 18,643 to be exact. Is that more than in previous years when you've had to do this? Pardon me. Yes, it is more than what we've done previously, but it is also we did expect this given we took five years off from notifying parents. So we haven't formally asked for the records in five years. So um, there's a lot of students who've started school during that time where parents may not have ever known about this process because their child started kindergarten two years ago. 
they're now in grade one. This is their first time through this process. So it's a learning curve for parents as well who are new to the system. Um, and it's also, you know, um, you become overdue for a vaccine as you age. So every year, um, you know, a, a child who might not have been overdue for a vaccine last year is now overdue. So we have five years of children kind of getting older and, and, um, and people forget it. It's, it is a step in the process to report to public health. So a lot of times you go to your family doctor, you get the vaccine, you forget to report. And that's fine. That's why we do this process. So we, these, these suspension orders, we provided them now. There's still six weeks before suspension. So March, March 27th is our suspension date for elementary students. There's still time to report your record. And we're just urging people to, you know, if you get the record, don't wait till the last minute. Please submit, please, you know, or please make arrangements to get your child vaccinated. And I guess, David, then public health has to work in coordination with the school board and the individual schools to enforce those suspension orders, should that be necessary? That's right. We work very closely with the school boards, and then as it gets closer to the day of suspension, directly with each school and their principal and administration to make sure that we're on the same page, to make sure that once a child is suspended, um, that if they get the vaccine or they submit their records, you know, the very next day, they're back in school. So the suspension is up to 20 days or as soon as you resolve the issue that, that is outstanding. So parents don't think, you know, we don't want parents to think, oh, my child's going to be suspended 20 days no matter what. No, as soon as you resolve that and update public health, we update the school and we get the child back in school the next day. Are there any exemptions to the immunization policy? Yes, there are. Um, there's two types of exemptions in Ontario. There's um, a medical exemption. So if someone is undergoing some form of treatment or has another medical condition that would make them, it would make it risky for them to get a vaccine, um, their doctor can fill out a medical exemption and send that to public health. The other option is what we call uh, a statement of conscience or what people might call a philosophical exemption. That's where someone who has believes that they, um, it's against their beliefs or against their Principles to receive the vaccination can fill out a, um, a statement of conscience exemption. They can get it notarized. They do have to complete a short online course. That's part of the Immunization of School Pupils Act. It takes about 30 minutes. It's completely online. Um, and then they submit those forms to public health. And all I should say as well, all the forms and all this information about what you need to do for exemptions is on our website at regionofwaterloo.ca. David, I really appreciate your time on the show this morning. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you very much, Mike. David Aoki is the Director of Infectious Disease and Chief Nursing Officer with the Region of Waterloo. Again, when you hear the number, it's on the staggering side, isn't it? 18,643 suspension orders issued. But then you peel back the first layer of the onion and you understand the why behind the suspension orders, which is not having your vaccination records in order. And we know that the vast majority of those 18,600 plus simply just haven't done the record keeping. And Lord knows that would be me if our child was still of that age. I'm the worst. Like, it's just enough to get through the day most days. So anyway, in most cases here, it is just a case of updating the records, getting your own records in order, et cetera, et cetera. But then there are the others who have not being immunized against those nine infectious diseases that David talked about. And remember, this is not a region of Waterloo thing. This is not a region of Waterloo public health thing. This is a provincial thing under the 
Immunization Act. And no, because when we talk about immunizations these days, I think our minds automatically go to vaccines against COVID-19. That is not, or they are not, included in this Vaccination Act. It is the same as it was pre-COVID, and lots of families in this community have some work to do to avoid those suspension orders. We'll take a break, come back with your calls right after this. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. With global travel, you know, we're not any more than 24 hours away from someone coming back to Ontario with a disease from another country that we don't often see here, like measles, mumps, rubella. And this act helped provide some surety to parents that when their children go to school, that the vaccines are helping protect their class and their community. David Aoki is the Director of Infectious Disease and Chief Nursing Officer with the region of Waterloo. joins us to talk about those more than 18,000 suspension orders that have been issued to elementary school students in the region. Most of those students will be in families that just haven't updated the records. The immunizations are up to date. The record keeping is just a little bit behind right now. They'll get that sorted. Then there are the others that need to have their immunizations updated. And I'm recalling a conversation that happened last week while I was away and Larry Fedorik was filling in. I know about the conversations because I keep an ear on things even when I'm away. Don't think I don't. But Larry pointed to a global increase in cases of measles and wondered on the show and talked to you about it. Is there anything to be concerned about here in Canada? Measles being one of those nine infectious diseases that we continue to immunize against. Let's go to the phones. Andre, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Um, yes, great segment. But I'm going to be transparent, um, honest about this, and hopefully one day um, you guys can help me out more about it. But uh, in my case, in our family situation, we are not vaccinated because there was um, a lot of confusion about it. You, I don't want to talk about that part, right, Mike? So what I want to say is that you were saying before, and, uh, and then the person that was on your show said, um, hopefully, you know, we can get through the parents, stuff like that. Well, in our in our situation, talking with our family is the mistrust of all the uh, d- drama happening around it and the vaccine around it. And now people are saying, you know, like maybe they're going to shoot, they're going to put the stuff into the new vaccine, you know. Sorry well, hang on, Andre, I just don't want to get too far off yeah. track here, okay? Because we're no not problem. talking, we're not talking about the newer COVID-19 vaccines. Correct. Okay, so but just let's be are, clear about that. People are very like us. That I think society or the government, I would say the government, needs to earn our trust back. And, and for example... You know, it would be really nice if the nurses that are not vaccinated would go back to work. So that's one thing that I don't like to see. And that's why I don't trust the va- no vaccination. Um, I'd rather live free with no vaccination at this minute. But my, my heart is open to get more information, hopefully one day, because a lot of people's trust is broken. And uh, so maybe David Drew can help me out on that one, Mike. All right, Andre. David Drew joins us every Monday at 1130 for Drew's Views. I'm not sure he can help restore your faith in our public institutions, but I understand where you're coming from. And that's why I think a conversation like this is interesting. We have, look, I've been 
at this radio station off and on for <laughs> more than 20 years now. And I can assure you that on many an occasion over the two decades or so I've been here, we have been reporting on stories just like this, where it's time to be immunized, public health is checking records, and they let thousands and thousands of families know that their kids' records are not up to date. And obviously, over the last three to five years, when we talk about vaccines, there is a different sentiment, not only towards the vaccines, but towards the agencies that are charged with ensuring our vaccinations are up to date. I totally get that. It's interesting that Andre used the word trust and how little faith he has in our institutions today because we had been trying to arrange a conversation uh, with a guest from the University of Waterloo about that very thing, about how our trust in public institutions has eroded over time and how dangerous a place that leaves us in. I don't blame you. I understand where it comes from. The question now, and I think the challenge for all of us is, how do we rebuild that trust? Because if we can't, well, I see a rather gloomy picture on the horizon. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of dreading the return of winter tomorrow. I mean, it is still winter, right? It's February. It's supposed to be blustery and cold and all of those rotten, terrible, nasty things. But it's been anything but for a couple of weeks now, to the point where I even stopped wearing my boots and my toque and my gloves every day. The toque and the gloves came out again yesterday as I prepared. But I just, when I was listening to All News Mornings today with Christine Clark and Mark Douglas, and I'm hearing about the forecasts for the snow up to 10 centimeters tomorrow, and I check multiple sources just to see, and yep, they're all reporting the same thing. I'm not, I'm not ready for it. I don't, I, I don't want winter to come back. However, if you're anything like me and you hear that the snow is coming tomorrow, And then you look further ahead to see, well, how long is it going to be around for? Or when's the next snow coming? Into next week, we're back up into the plus side of zero. So, I don't know. Maybe there's some hope. I'm not telling you to not shovel tomorrow. Please do clear the snow, be a good neighbor. But by next week, we should be getting a bit of a break again, too. I'll take it for sure. Uh, Speaking of breaks, let's take one ourselves, get you an update from the City News Center, and then... What is this security team that the city of Cambridge is hiring to uphold the values of its citizens? We'll find that out next as we continue the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570.
It is that time of year in the municipal council cycle that councils are putting together and finalizing municipal budgets. And we've been reporting this week on the tax increase in the city of Waterloo, north of 6%. And this morning on City News 570's All News Mornings, you heard about the increase in the city of Cambridge. Part of that increase in the city of Cambridge is the hiring of five security guards to, quote, uphold the values of the citizens of Cambridge and address problems that the city says are caused by a very small segment of the unhoused population. Ross Earnshaw is the councillor for Ward 4 in the city of Cambridge and joins us for a chat about it. Ross, good morning. Good morning, Mike, and happy Valentine's Day. And to you, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, What is the thinking behind the hiring of this security team? Uh, Largely, it is to address uh, lawlessness, not homelessness. I regret the direction that the media has taken in in, uh, uh, emphasizing the homelessness part of it. Um, It it is designed to enhance the ability of our bylaw compliance team to address issues like property standards, noise, parking concerns, uh, sign complaints, fireworks, for example, and uh, to permit a more proactive approach to addressing those kinds of problems by having a mobile security team. Uh, Up until now, the bylaw compliance people, um, uh, whether or not you think they're understaffed, have not had the ability to cover large parts of the city because they are not uh, equipped with a vehicle. So this plan allows the enhancement of the number of staff and permits 24-7 coverage with a mobile unit to improve the security of the city and address lawlessness in all of the areas that I mentioned. So these sound like general nuisance complaints, perhaps, Ross. Are, why not bylaw officers then to handle this? Why uh, you know, five additional security officers? Well, the bylaw team, uh, in my respectful submission, is overworked and understaffed already, and it's limited by its lack of mobility. So, for example, um, the uh, problem of uh, vandalism in parks, say, generally takes place uh, in the uh, overnight hours, and the bylaw staff simply is not available to address it. So when it comes to the attention of the city staff, then it becomes necessary for staff to address the the problem, uh, effect repairs, do clean-up, whatever is necessary, and that enhances the cost. I don't think I should use the word enhance. That adds to the cost <laughs> of uh, remedying the situation, whereas if there were a 24-7, 365 a year uh, team available with a vehicle, uh, a complaint could be addressed immediately, and many of those expenses forestalled or eliminated. In my view, although this was uh, depicted as a budget increase, once we have the experience of having this team in place, my anticipation is that the costs that are incurred by the city will be reduced, and ultimately it'll be a cost-saving measure. What powers will these security officers be afforded? Uh, Well, if you're directing your question towards the power of arrest, of course they won't have the power of arrest. 
But our bylaw compliance team already works closely with the Waterloo Regional Police Services, and this, uh, this mobile unit will be no different and will have the ability to liaise with the Waterloo Regional Police Services if and when required. Are we under-policed then in Cambridge, Ross? No, I don't think so, but it's very difficult to have eyes on every place where some unlawful activity might occur. You know, I was thinking about the questions you might ask me, and uh, we're about to, in fact, tomorrow, the city is about to open its engagement with the public regarding the fireworks bylaw. And back um, the better part of a year ago, we received a report from the bylaw compliance people regarding fireworks complaints. Uh, So people tell us uh, in the course of uh, uh, complaining regarding fireworks that um, fireworks are being set off uh, without permission uh, on days that are not permitted at all to have fireworks in the city, and that this causes problems with people who have sensitivities, uh, with pets that may react adversely. And the issue that we were advised about by the compliance team was that by the time the complaint is received, uh, the bylaw folks uh, uh, try to go out and and intercept. It's very rare that they can get there before the perpetrator has disappeared into the underbrush, as it were. And therefore, uh, it's extremely difficult to uh, lay a a bylaw infraction charge and even more difficult to obtain uh, a conviction. With this mobile security unit in place, I envisage that it would be possible for a complaint to be reacted to more or less immediately, and that the uh, perpetrators might, in fact, be apprehended. This would uh, permit better enforcement of that particular bylaw, and also, uh, one would think, result in some collection of fines that might offset the cost. Just one example that uh, comes to mind in light of the fireworks uh, review that we're undertaking. When it comes to the kinds of lawless behaviors that have been noticed and that leads to the conversation about this security team, Ross, what has the impact been on the neighborhoods where this behavior is occurring? Well, on city properties, it has caused uh, uh, damage in our parks, um, problems on our streets, and um, the the city staff is called upon through its ambassador team to try to react to that. The ambassador team is also overworked, and the ambassador team is uh, restricted to the core areas. This mobile security unit, uh, by the way, would cover the entirety of the city, not just uh, the downtown Galt Ward, which is my uh, my ward. Uh, the impacts have been uh, in terms of costs, and as far as uh, private property owners are concerned, um, it's been uh, a problem for business owners to attract and keep uh, customers coming to their doors. Uh, It's been a problem with um, vandalism and theft from uh, backyards throughout uh, uh, residential neighborhoods, that sort of thing, Mike. Are we in any way, Ross, through the creation and funding of a security team like this, criminalizing poverty? Um, I'm glad you raised that because, unfortunately, the um, the perception that is developing in uh, in the community, as I see in the newspaper reports and um, in the um, uh, emails that I've received, um, is that that is in fact the the, initi- the purpose of the initiative. Whereas, in fact, 
if indeed crimes are taking place, then of course they need to be addressed. But that is a criminal activity problem, not a problem of being homeless. So whether an unlawful act is perpetrated by a housed person or an unhoused person is really beside the point. The target of this initiative is lawlessness, not homelessness. I appreciate the straightforward manner uh, in which you answer that question as well. Before I let you go, Ross, and and this is just a slight tangent, but I I read from the city of Cambridge itself yesterday following budget deliberations that the tax increase represents a 2.58% increase to the overall residential tax bill. But I'm also reading other analyses that say it's north of 7%. Can you provide some clarity on that for me, please? Yes, the, um, uh, the impact to the taxpayer in Cambridge, um, the, uh, let me just get my figures right here, the, the Cambridge increase represents 36% of the overall increase which hits the taxpayer's um, bill. And so if you take the 7.17% increase that was approved by our council at a special meeting yesterday, and work through the figures, it means an increase to the overall tax bill in the hands of the taxpayer of uh, the 2.58%, if I've got my number right, that you mentioned, which is below the rate of inflation. That's the topic. But there's no question that the increase of the uh, operating capital and water budgets in total in Cambridge comes to 7.17%. So I hope that brings some clarity to the situation. It certainly does, as it does bring some clarity to the security team situation as well. Ross, appreciate your time on the show this morning. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Mike. Always a pleasure. Ross Earnshaw, Ward 4 Councillor in the City of Cambridge. I just needed some clarity on that figure on the tax increase because there have been a couple bouncing around. But the gist of the conversation, and, and I will just say again, I... I really appreciate Ross's straightforward and measured tone in dealing with difficult issues. I'm not surprised in the least that when you talk about this idea of a 24-7, round-the-clock, 365 days a year, mobile security team, there will be accusations that you are criminalizing either poverty or homelessness or both. If you take a step back and you consider the kinds of actions that are violations of our laws. You want to go a little bit law and order here? We can. And then think of the impact of those actions on a community. Well, maybe just maybe this is a direction a city would like to move in, in order to, again, quote, uphold the values of that community. What do you make Let's hear from you. Is this a criminalization of poverty and or homelessness? Or is this a necessary reaction to too much lawlessness in a community? What do you think of the idea of a round-the-clock private security team hired by the city? This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. If indeed crimes are taking place, then, of course, they need to be addressed. But that is a criminal activity problem, not a problem of being homeless. So whether an unlawful act is perpetrated by a housed person or an unhoused person is really beside the point. The target of this initiative is lawlessness, not homelessness.
Ross Earnshaw is the Ward 4 counselor in the city of Cambridge. It was his motion to include in this year's budget the money to hire five security guards. This will be a round-the-clock, year-round mobile team that is meant to address lawlessness in various parts of the city. Some have accused Cambridge of criminalizing poverty and homelessness. But as Ross made clear, we have in the city of Cambridge an overworked bylaw department and too much behavior that is not poverty or homeless related, but instead against the law. It's criminal, lawless behavior that the city would like to see dealt with. What's your take on the idea of a security team like this? 519 570 2545, star 570, and 1 800 570 57 15. Ranger Joe, good morning. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Very good. Thanks, Mike. Good. You know, I I agree with Ross, and, and I can see this uh, also um, coming into being in Kitchener or Waterloo also in the near future. And and I think when you have the chief on for that, uh, for your segments there, um, I bet you he would have the figures on the amount of crime that's committed and normally what the cross-section of the population is that are committing it. And I bet you the homeless people will be such a small fraction. It's not even funny, Mike, to be honest with you. So I agree wholeheartedly uh, that they should implement it because, um, you know, a lot of people that just want to have a, a normal family day wherever they go in the city, maybe Cambridge or Kitchener, they shouldn't have to worry about what they walk into or or the crime that's going on, you know. So, like I say, I think it's a great idea, Mike. And that's all I have to say on it, buddy. All right, Joe, appreciate the call. You know, I'm thinking back on uh, a meeting I attended some time ago with a neighborhood that is very near to a shelter. And and this neighborhood was some kind of upset with the kinds of behaviors they were seeing and how it impacted their life in their neighborhood. And And... I think until we're in those situations, until we've walked a mile in those moccasins, I don't think we fully grasp the impact of these sorts of behaviors. And I will, I will not forget, as long as I live, I will not forget one of the gentlemen who stood up near the end of that meeting and passionately spoke out. This is a man I've known for my entire life, and he spent much of that time as a pastor in a local Mennonite church. And he was steaming about what had happened to his neighborhood because of the influence of these behaviors. Until you're living through it, I I don't think you can fully appreciate these impacts. Joe, what say you? Uh, Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Uh, Just a quick question. Who won the game last night? Uh, The Leafs did and the Rangers did. Oh, thank God. That just makes my day. There I, you I'm happy to be here for you, hospital, So, uh, you know, I didn't make it to the game. Anyway, um, I live in said neighborhood that you just referenced, and uh, I've seen it. And I'm not, you know what, I'm not going to beat on homeless people, honestly. Um, they're in a situation that they don't want to be in, for the most part. And uh, But the problem is, 
when you have nothing, then you have nothing to lose. And that affects the people around you when you just don't care about your actions because you literally have nothing to lose. So um, for that reason, I fully support the the concept and the idea of this uh, private security, um, uh, whatever the, the proposal was from your, your guest speaker there. I, I fully support that, and I think it's a great idea. And uh, you have a great day. We'll talk to you in a bit. All right, Joe. You have a great day, too. Nice to hear from you on the show. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. This is absolutely the place to come and talk about issues that matter in Waterloo Region and speak to organizations that care deeply about what's happening in Waterloo Region. And that's what we're going to do next when we speak with the CEO of our local basketball team who has made it a team commitment to be community-involved and ultimately community-owned. But the latest organization that will get the support from our local basketball team is one I did not know of until the boost that comes with being connected to the game tomorrow night. We'll talk about all of that, including the hot streak these KW Titans are on. Stay with us as we continue the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. Don't look now, but those KW Titans are rolling. Three consecutive wins, six in a row at home, and the Titans are playing at home tomorrow night versus Montreal. The CEO of the KW Titans is David Schooley, who joins us in studio. Good morning, sir. Mike, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Uh, happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to you as well. And David brings with him today Connie Lacey, who's the coordinator with the Children's Needs Distribution Center, which operates out of Highland Baptist Church in Kitchener. Connie, good Correct. morning. Yes, good morning. Thanks for having me, Mike. Thank you very much for being here, because as I mentioned before the news update, and just while we were sitting in studio Listening to that update with Christine, I did not know of the work that you were doing with the Children's Needs Distribution Center. So hopefully we can use this opportunity to share that story a little bit That's more. That's what I would hope to. Yes, <laughs> yes it's great work, Mike. It is great work. Now, David, how did you come to learn of the Children's Needs Distribution Center? Um, I have to tell you, it's I don't really know. <laughs> we, you know, we have um, this year we've had uh, so many organizations uh, reach out. And um, my my uh, superstar, uh, my game day operations, Kyle, would probably have made that connection or I may have made that connection uh, sometime um, over the last few months. But we, you know, we're supporting so many organizations throughout our season. And, uh, you know, 
Uh, maybe cystic fibrosis will be out soon. It may right. well be, but this is part of yes. the commitment that right. you made when right. you took over this team. So, you know, we have this this uh, great machine that every every game we can we can support an organization and bring awareness to uh, to one of those. So, um, I think it was Barb uh, Wall, correct? Right? Barb that, Wall of Kitchener or Water Waterloo Rotary. Yeah. She is a big supporter of the CNDC. Uh, she made the connection with the Titans, and uh, so tomorrow night is going to happen. And we give a lot of credit to Barb. So CNDC, Children's Needs Distribution Center. That's easier to say, CNDC. CNDC, yeah, I like it. That's much easier. <laughs> what can you tell us about it, Connie? How did this all get started? Well, um, as I said before, um, one lady started it, actually, uh, uh, 30 years ago. And uh, she found out there was a refugee family who had children about her age of her children. She thought, well, I can, you know, go through my closets and put some things together. She did realized that there were a lot of refugee families at that point who needed help, so she enlisted her friends and family. Uh, and it started out they would uh, put together boxes of clothing and toys for refugee families. That grew and grew and grew, and now we we have what, if you came into our center, it might look like a thrift store, but we don't charge a cent. So we have toys, we have clothes, uh, we have baby equipment, uh, right up to teenagers, and uh, we, we have clients who come in every Tuesday. Uh, they don't have to make an appointment, but we don't ask questions. Uh, they come in and they take what they need for their children. How do you identify the families in need? At this point, after 30 years, has the network kind of closed, the loop closed? They know where to come for support? Exactly. Uh, a lot of uh, folks from their ethnic communities, the word spreads, as you said, uh, we also are well connected with all the social service agencies in the city, in the region, uh, and with the hospital. Um, so we get, uh, they refer clients to us when they know of, of families that really could use our help. But on a Tuesday, we don't ask questions. If they're here, uh, they're here because they need to be. Uh, we also have a, a car seat program, which was started with Grand River Hospital 20 years ago. Uh, and that program is by referral only. So it started with the hospital. They they found that mums were in the hospital too long without... They needed a, new, a, a safe car seat to get out of the hospital. They didn't have one. Hospital had to keep them in. So we partnered with them. And uh, that is by referral only. It's quite the story, David. Kind of like building a basketball team from its roots. <laughs> you know, there's some similarities there, I think. Um, uh, but... Uh, we haven't been around quite 30 years. We're in season seven. Um, so how do they connect with you, Connie? Like, tell me, where is there a, is there a number? Is there something at the church? How, how would a, a family in need connect with you? Okay, well, we have both a, a phone number and we have a, a, an email address. Uh, and we have brochures that a lot, uh, we give out to the agencies and the hospitals so they can pass them out to their to their clients, and that's how they get a hold of us. But a lot of it is word of mouth. Um, and I would say our clientele are maybe 50 to 60% new people new to Canada, so refugees, immigrants. Uh, we also, of course, have uh, lots of folk who are single parents or very low income trying to stretch that dollar, so here's a way they can do that. 
We have grandparents who suddenly are looking after their grandkids and, and need the supplies. Uh, it comes from a wide range of backgrounds. How many families would you see a week? Uh, we see 15 to 20 families a week uh, at our center. Yeah. And uh, if somebody wanted to donate or if someone wanted to, um, you know, because I'd like to know which items you need the most and, you know, what's, you know, if, when we're doing work for, for the food bank, you know, there's, there's lots of things that you can donate, but quite often they'll have a wish list of, you know, things that are most needed. So what, what's most needed right now? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because right now our bins are getting very empty of clothing. So we keep uh, clothing for babies all the way up to teens. Uh, and the only way we can serve our clients is that when the donations come in. So that's crucial. Uh, we also look for uh, baby items as well. For example, uh, bassinets, high chairs, strollers uh, in good condition. Uh, these are Always, always, always in demand. So, uh, but right now, for all everyone listening, we really need clothing donations. It's interesting. This year is probably the first year that January has not been a low year in terms of number of clients, but the demand out there is so high that we are now booking into March, and that has never happened before. But to us, it's a, it's a delicate balance between how, how much do we have in our bins and how many people can we serve. So it has to work out. So we really need those donations of, of gently used children's items. And what age children? You know, Anything from babies to teens. Babies to teens. Yep. There you go. Connie Lacey is a coordinator with the Children's Needs Distribution Center, the CNDC. That will be the organization that gets some profile at tomorrow night's KW Titans game at the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium, which we want to encourage you to go and take in because the Titans are hot. Team CEO David Schooley also in studio with us. We continue the conversation on the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. In studio this morning with Connie Lacey, coordinator with the Children's Needs Distribution Center in Kitchener, CNDC, and David Schooley, the CEO with the KW Titans. CNDC will be the local organization that gets some profile at tomorrow night's game between the Titans and Montreal. And David, can we just spend a moment talking about the sizzling hot KW Titans? Three in a row overall, six in a row have won at home. Yes. We are eight and four, so we that is the best record the team has ever had in the uh, history of the franchise. We are now tied with London for for first place, um, which is exciting. Um, you know, we need to. So, so I wanted to talk about Valentine's Day, sure, just, just briefly. Um, I can't imagine a better gift for Valentine's Day than tickets to a Titans game. You know, Connie, I saw you laugh a little bit, but good, I think David might be onto idea. something. All good right, idea. David, I'll tell you what, you can count a couple of Farwells to your attendance so, tonight, because guess what I'm doing? Guess what my wife is getting for, <laughs> for Valentine's Day. Uh, my wife, uh, Kate Schooley, um, who is the uh, the brains behind the operation, she keeps the, the ship running. You know, we have such a great organization here. I mean, I have... I have a busy real estate practice, so we have uh, a great management team with the with the Titans, and and I just get to come out every once in a while and talk to Mike um, and you know uh, great people like Connie and and 
and uh, you know the Children's Needs Distribution Center. Um, but let's talk about tomorrow night. We're we're playing the Montreal Tundra, um, seven o'clock, and we're doing something kind of special for the the Children's uh, Needs Distribution Center. We're collecting. You are you are collecting with all your great fans, uh, socks and mitts to yes. get us through the cold season. Excellent. Yeah. So that's what we need you. We need the fans to come out tomorrow, right? We need them to come out. Um, you know, our it's a Thursday night. Um, remember, uh, I'm getting my wife uh, some great tickets to the game. Uh, you should do the same. Um, you know, bring the whole family out. We uh, we're going to have uh, uh, a team that we've uh, we've beaten before. They're not going to be happy about that. Uh, they're going to be coming out to. Looking for a win, and uh, we want to keep our record at home uh, clean. I think we are six and one at home. You are six and one at home. The first game we'll just forget about. Sudbury got the better of us, but we've been six in a row since that time. Now I know you can go online to kwtitans.com, and maybe you want to do that today. Make sure you get this taken care of instead of waiting for walk up yes. tomorrow. Although walk up is fine too, but kwtitans.com has information there, and you can buy your tickets and, online. And tomorrow night is actually um, school night. Uh, so uh, there's a number of different things that you can do as a, as a, a parent or a student. You can come out to the game. I'm going to share a code, which we haven't shared any codes this year, um, for tomorrow night's game. Feb, Feb, F-E-B, 15, so Feb 15, kids. Okay. And if you, if you go into tomorrow night's game, Feb 15... There are some rocking deals for tomorrow night. All right, that code is Feb fifteen kids. So F E B one five K I D S Feb fifteen kids. And you won't find that published anywhere. So uh, feel free to text me. Um, Mike will give you the number five one nine five seven seven one two one two, or email me at david at kwtitans.com, and we will share that code with you so you can get out and with all the students from around uh, the region. Uh, tomorrow night is is school night. Isn't there another incentive, David, to come tomorrow night and bring a donation to the well, CNDC? Well, you know what? Yeah. We are we are going to be giving away a special prize. Mm-hmm. Look, to... the two of you have got this figured out. It's like an <laughs> Abbott and Costello routine is, in here. It is. You know what? Um, <laughs> so yes, uh, if you bring a donation uh, for a mitten or sock toss, uh, you will have a chance to win something very cool tomorrow night. I like that. So a prize incentive as well. Not only, and we were just talking about this the other day, uh, where doing good things, doing good deeds makes you feel physically better. Science says so. So if we bring the socks and the mitts, we're going to feel better. We're going to help out CNDC and David and the KW Titans are incenting us with some prizes here. I like yeah, it. It's going to be exciting. So um, I think we've got uh, I think we've got a couple more seconds. Yes, to we talk do. about. Uh, so the I'm interested about the uh, the how do you get funding for those car seats because those are something that you know I learned uh, after I bought my multiple car seats and and then they were you know they have a time expiry date on them they do because they're expensive where do where do you get funding for that they are expensive and people are loath to just buy it off kijiji or whatever you can't tell whether it's been in an accident uh, whether it's safe for your child the hospital won't let you out of the hospital without a safe one so families who have don't who don't have very much money are in a bind when it comes to that um 
We supply maybe uh, up to 100 car seats a year, and we do have to fundraise for that part of our program. We have been fortunate to have the support of the Maycourt Club uh, for a number of years. We've had the support of a number of Rotary Clubs. This year, we also uh, applied for and got an upstream grant from the uh, region, Excellent. and that has that has been very helpful. So every year, it's, uh, it's a struggle to find the funds. The other struggle is to find reasonably priced car seats. Uh, a year ago, Christmas, we lost our... our connection to a distributor who was giving us a fair deal on car seats. Uh, then for a while, I was like having to buy them off, uh, you know, the net or whatever, or buy them from stores, and that, that cost us too much money. Uh, we've now reconnected with the distributor, but the price is double of what we were paying at the end of uh, two Christmases ago. So it's an ongoing fundraising struggle, but so far we've been able to uh, like, not have to say no to anybody. That sounds like an opportunity. A shout out to anybody that might be in that business. Absolutely. Distribution of car seats. You know, connect with my friend Connie Lacey here. Um, you know, because the car seats are a critical point, right? We can't do without them. Absolutely. So it's the Children's Needs Distribution Center, CNDC. Uh, you can learn more online. Highlandbaptist.ca will connect you to the work the CNDC does. That is the partner with the KW Titans for tomorrow's game against the Montreal Tundra. We want to see you there. Bring some socks, bring some mittens, and bring your loud voices to cheer for the Titans. Connie, thanks for stopping by today and sharing this well, with us. Well, thank you so much for having me, Mike. And David, you're the connector. You made it well, happen. Don't forget that code, FEB15, FEB15KIDS. FEB15KIDS. Right? Yeah. Excellent incentive there for your tickets tomorrow night and prizes available if you bring those socks and mittens to support CNDC. Ooh, absolutely. David Always. Schooley is the CEO of the KW Titans. Connie Lacey, coordinator with the Children's Needs Distribution Center. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. Be sure to get your tickets for tomorrow's Titans game against the Montreal Tundra. I was not kidding when I said earlier there will absolutely be a couple of Farwells and maybe even a friend uh, in attendance tomorrow night. Titans are hot right now, having won six in a row at home, three in a row overall. Uh, Tip-off is at 7 o'clock. Tickets at kwtitans.com. And while we're at the game, we can bring some socks and some mittens to help support the children's needs distribution center it's a win-win all around you'll get some great basketball and a great night out as well all right let's get you an update from the city news center shall we and then as you heard in a report by a federal housing advocate yesterday the encampment crisis in this country demands a national solution what might that solution look like we'll check in with a local mp after this update from the city news center this is the mike farwell show on city news 570 and rogers tv
Well, as you probably heard yesterday during all news afternoons here on City News 570, our federal housing advocate, Marie-Jose Uhl, released a report that talks about the encampment crisis across this country. And if it's one thing I've said a hundred times, it's one thing I've probably said about 247 times. And that is this, the encampments that we see, the visible signs of homelessness that are almost literally everywhere in this community today are nothing unique to this community. We are seeing similar stories play out in communities clear across this country. And when I say the visible signs of homelessness in this community today, I, of course, refer to the community in which I live, that being the region of Waterloo and specifically the city of Kitchener. We know just down the road in Guelph, there have been serious issues related to encampments to the point that new bylaws are being discussed at Guelph City Hall in an attempt to create safer spaces. And by extension, that could mean the removal of outdoor encampments. We have seen encampments, people evicted from encampments clear across this country. The most recent examples, I recall, Edmonton, down east in Halifax. These are issues clear across this country. And when we talk about them on this show, we talk about a lot of the great work that is being done. We have, for example, in the city of Kitchener, a better tent city. We have, for example, a regional initiative, part of our plan to end chronic homelessness, that managed outdoor encampment, those shipping containers on Herbs Road. And there are more plans in the works. It's very likely that we're going to end up with a second managed outdoor encampment like that one currently on Herbs Road. Some are already advocating for a place in the Galt area of Cambridge. 150 Main Street would be ideal, some are saying, for another similar managed encampment here in the region. So that's just the snapshot that I know that you're very well aware of. And I bring that up by way of context for what we heard from Marie-José Uhl yesterday in her report, which says... And by the way, the title of it is Upholding Dignity and Human Rights. And the report has six calls to action to address ongoing homeless encampments across the country. But the bottom line is there needs to be a national solution to this. And that ties into something that has come up when we talk about this issue in our community. And that is municipalities are not going to solve the issue on their own. It's that simple. We know that support is required from the provincial government, and we know that support is required from the federal government. Even though we heard about six months or so ago at an announcement in Hamilton around some affordable housing, Prime Minister Trudeau saying that housing is not something that the federal government has direct carriage over. There is absolutely a role for the federal government, and I do believe this report points us in that direction. Bardish Chagger is our MP for Waterloo, joins the program for a conversation. Good morning, Bardish. 
Good morning, Mike. What role do you see for the federal government in attacking what has become a crisis with encampments across this country? So since taking office in 2015, under the leadership of this prime minister, the federal government has really recognized that all levels of government have a role to play. And so our government actually re-entered the housing space and we came forward with the National Housing Strategy and recognizing this important work, we are the people who appointed this individual. These are tough conversations and we need to have them and we really need to get into sorting out the best way that is informed with people with lived experiences as to how we respond. And that's why we legislated the recognition of housing as a human right through the National Housing Strategy Act. Um, And we're going to continue moving forward with the historic investments because we believe the federal government has a role to play, but we must work in partnership with all levels of government, especially when it comes to jurisdiction and respecting jurisdiction. Were you surprised at anything you heard from housing advocate Marie-José Houle yesterday? I have to say that we, I welcome her comments. I think it's um, really important that we review those findings and that we look at potential additional actions that the federal government can take. I think it's really important with, at first minister's meetings that the different levels of government really recognize where the needs might vary across the country. So I think for us in Ontario, we need to look at the diversity of needs within the province, but I'm most concerned with what are the needs within the Waterloo region and how do we respond to them. And so I believe with this appointment, it really provides us an opportunity to work better together to solve the housing crisis that we know. And this is something that has been... um, really brewing for a long time and that is part of why we committed to a national housing strategy when we ran in 2015 because we already knew there wasn't enough being done and the federal government wanted to be a partner in finding a better way forward and most recently the prime minister was within the waterloo region he was actually in the city of waterloo announcing over 22 million dollars through the housing accelerator fund we know the city of kitchener has received money um these tax dollars, these investments. So what we've done as a federal government is continue working with provinces and territories, but also additionally working with regions and through the Housing Accelerator Fund, working directly with municipalities. I I mentioned at the outset for context to this conversation, Bardish, that the the signs of homelessness are very visible in the community today. And sometimes I think, oh, it's Bardish Chagger, the MP representing Waterloo, and you kind of get that label as as the politician as opposed to the person, but you're very much a member of the community. How do these signs, these visible signs of homelessness in our community impact you? How do they make you feel? So I believe in true representation and one of the things i did when i ran for office was commit to being the diversity of voices of perspectives and experiences in ottawa and it's one of the reasons i ran is because i felt there was people who were not being represented and so for me yes i am a member of this community i see what's taking place but i will continue being part of the conversations with all neighboring ridings as well as to how do we move forward not only as the city of waterloo but as the region of waterloo Um, making sure that each community has an ability to respond and to work together. But I also will not go forward with the Ottawa Knows Best 
I will continue being in the community, listening to what our community needs. And that goes back to my original comment about, yes, we need Ontario to step up, but I'm going to fight for the region of Waterloo to make sure we know what the region of Waterloo needs, what the city of Waterloo needs. And that's where I um, wholeheartedly support the federal government being a player. And I'm going to continue fighting for the federal government to do even more. And I'm going to continue encouraging all levels of government to work with us because together we actually can have better outcomes. And every Canadian deserves a safe and affordable place to call home. And when I see people in our community not have that, it just reminds me that I need to work harder and I will continue working harder. The Federal Housing Advocates report says that by August the 31st, so in about six months, there should be an implementation of a response plan on national encampments. Do you think that timeline is realistic? We have to try, Mike, and I think that's what it comes down to. I remember when we ran on a national housing strategy, there wasn't a lot of uptake on the importance and value of it, but it was the right thing to do, and a government needed to do it, and we did it. Um, we were just in Waterloo announcing, um, you know, through the programs that the federal government has brought forward to really encourage people to enter building housing that's actually affordable and deeply affordable. And March 6th, seniors from the community will be moving into those units. And that's just around the corner. But yet we need to demonstrate that by taking actions, we actually can get this done and by having targets and deadlines it provides us an opportunity to do better and that's where i think this report is meaningful is because it's making us confront an issue that we do need to be concerned with and i think it also provides me an opportunity to reach out to people in the community and say hey how are we going to inform this and how do we ensure that we're the region of waterloo city of waterloo our communities are at the table as being part of the solution so that solutions that might work for other communities that don't work for us, we want to make sure we have solutions that work for our communities represented in this report. So I'm good with having that uh, an ambitious target, a goal, uh, because we need to do this work yesterday. And so the more we can get done, the better it is. And that's where I was really pleased to speak to the Minister of Housing. They are reviewing this report. They're taking it very seriously, and they're looking forward to doing whatever we can. Um, the federal government has been at the table since we took office, will remain there. Not all parties believe that the federal government needs to do this, but the Liberal government stands behind the work we're doing, and we're going to continue striving to do even more. Bardish, thank you very much for the time on the show today. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Bardish Chagger is the MP representing Waterloo, joining us to talk about the Federal Housing Advocates report yesterday. That calls for immediate action and by August the 31st, the implementation of a national encampments response plan. Can we make that target? Can we create such a response plan? I don't think there's any disputing the need for one. The question is, can we get there? We're talking four levels of government in our community. Municipal, upper level municipal at the region, which is the level responsible for social housing, I'll just add. Provincial, federal. It's a lot of voices at the table. I've always said that the best way to get nothing done is to put too many people around the table. August the 31st. How optimistic are you? This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV.
we need to demonstrate that by taking actions, we actually can get this done. And by having targets and deadlines, it provides us an opportunity to do better. And that's where I think this report is meaningful, is because it's making us confront an issue that we do need to be concerned with. And I think it also provides me an opportunity to reach out to people in the community and say, hey, how are we going to inform this? It is certainly a meaningful report coming yesterday from federal housing advocate Marie-José Houle outlining how we uphold dignity and human rights when it comes to encampments across this country. And the report says government must act immediately to save lives. The voice you just heard was Bardish Chaggers. She is the MP who represents Waterloo, and she made clear in our conversation that this liberal government and its leader, Justin Trudeau, ran on a national housing strategy in 2015, ran on such a strategy when nobody believed it was an important strategy upon which to run. And here we are, almost nine years later, and respectfully, I would wonder how effective the strategy has been given what we are seeing when it comes to these very visible signs of homelessness in this community and every community clear across this country. Maybe it would be fair if we're being reasonable here to recognize that the years of the pandemic took an unexpected toll and certainly I would argue a greater toll than anyone expected even when it began. But certainly in 2015, when you're talking about a national housing strategy, you would not bake into that strategy three years of complete and utter chaos, right? I don't know how you could possibly plan for that, forecast for that, etc. There was a, a great piece by Louisa D'Amato in today's Waterloo Region Record about what homelessness looks like in our townships and the CAO in Woolwich Township was talking about how five years ago you wouldn't have been having conversations about encampments in Woolwich Township but you're sure as heck having them today so do the math go back to 2019 and pre-COVID and fast forward to today almost we're getting up on five years to the day since the first case was identified on some cruise liner, right? Or was that early 2020? Regardless, we are where we are. And there was this massive gulf of chaos in between it all. So now our townships are starting to see the visible homelessness. We're seeing it in our communities. And this report, which I am fully supportive of, comes from the federal housing advocate who says this needs to be a full-on trilateral federal provincial municipal government response can we get everybody at the table can we make something meaningful happen here i hope this isn't another report that just collects some dust we'll come back with your calls right after this quick timeout it's the mike farwell show on city news 570 and rogers tv Just ahead of an update from the City News Center. Let's get back to the phones and hear from you on the show. Brett, good morning. Hey, Mike. Happy day. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing all right. How are you doing today? Well, you know, I got to say, Mike, quite frustrated after hearing Minister Tager, uh 
is a strategy that's been in place back to 2015 and the years prior. The idea of homeless encampments across our great country, that, that was a, a nightmare. We never even could consider that could happen. I mean, I don't even think in our largest metropolitan centers it was nearly as bad as it is now. So to hear her ramble on about this is a strategy that they ran on, I mean, the record shows that they haven't delivered results that Canadians really want to see. And, and, and then to complicate it further, when you were mentioning, well, you know, maybe they didn't factor in COVID. Well, no one did. But COVID itself didn't create record homelessness. Poor government policies in response to COVID did. And if we look around the world, I think we should look to jurisdictions that aren't seeing the rapid problems we are in our country. Well, I, I don't know. I don't have a, my finger on the pulse of every other country, to be sure, Brett, but I do not disagree with your point that if you ran on a strategy nine years ago, I wouldn't be boasting about it today because it doesn't is, look like is, it worked well is at all. Canada, is Canada in a better shape today than it was in 2015? Certainly not. No, I'll be honest with you, Mike. I voted Liberal in 2015. I did too because I wanted electoral reform. <laughs> exactly. So, anyways, I just find that that's that's why people don't have a lot of faith in our political class right now because they can't just come out and say we have been a failure and they've made terrible mistakes. And I think we all can agree everyone makes mistakes, but to say that they were the ones that ran on a visionary policy, their dream has turned into a nightmare for too many of us. Brett, appreciate the call. I got to get to news and move on with another part of the show, but maybe we can come back to this during the 12 o'clock talk back. I think Brett's point is a very fair one here. And I might be less inclined to tout my record and or strategy from nine years ago when we see where we're at today. Because there's no question, when it comes to homelessness and encampments, we're in far worse shape than we were in 2015. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. Well, we haven't spent a ton of time talking about it. Not that I think you need the reminder now that the day is here, but it is Valentine's Day, don't you know? We began the show today with Endless Love by Lionel Richie and Diana Ross, the song that Billboard magazine claims to be the greatest love song ever recorded. I make reference to Valentine's Day today and everything it represents because as I look ahead to Saturday as part of the month-long Rhythm and Blues Black History Month festivities in the city of Cambridge, we are looking forward to on Saturday, Black Love Day. Marjorie Knight is the co-founder of Rhythm and Blues Cambridge. And as always, seems to be able to make time for our show, which we appreciate. Good morning, my friend. Good morning. (laughs) Always willing to make time. And I certainly do appreciate that. Tell us more about Black Love Day on Saturday. Well, first of all, Black Love Day, actually, um, we have it because we have International Black Love Day, which is actually February the 13th. But instead of celebrating during the week, we moved it. To the Saturday and what we have done is we have made it a real community event what does black love mean to you is it your family is it romantic is it for your community is it for your heritage it's all of those things 
And all of that is what we celebrate. And so we are having it this year in what I call a full circle moment. We are having it at the Cambridge Players Theater, which in 1878 was built as a South Water Street Baptist Church, the first black church in Cambridge. And so we are celebrating our Black Love Day at the place that was built with love by our early black settlers in Cambridge. So it's really an awesome event. I like that full circle nature of this, Marjorie. Yes. I, I, it, it just really, when we were looking for somewhere to hold it, and we thought about that, and we all just jumped on it going, yes, yes, this just is perfect. And what we do there is we, we uh, have our public come in, and we have an open mic session. So people from all across our community sign up to be able to come up to do spoken word, to sing, to do any kind of performances. We had moms with their kids. We had our youth singing, doing spoken word. It was a beautiful event, and so that's why we brought it back. And then we spiced it up a little bit this year because we brought in Dwayne Morgan from Toronto, who is coming in to perform and to be our DJ. And we've brought in what we call a conscious dub poet from Jamaica, whose name is Yasa Safari. And uh, this, this Grammy-nominated artist is coming to close out our performances on Black Love Night. And it's something that if you have never heard him, if you've never experienced something like that, you're going to want to come. How did rhythm and blues, and, and why did rhythm and blues get organized in Cambridge, Marjorie? Because every single Black History Month or anything that was of, of importance to the Black community happened, I would get all these invitations. But these invitations were all for Toronto. And when I looked around in my community and said, okay, what are we doing here to celebrate our community? The answer was nothing. Our entire community moved to Toronto to celebrate everything. And, and that's just wrong. We need to be here, we need to be seen, and we need to celebrate and be a part of the general community here. And that is why we started Rhythm and Blues Cambridge, because we wanted to say, we're here, and we can celebrate everything else here, too. Is Saturday's event celebrating Black Love Day open to the entire community? Absolutely. We welcome everyone to come. It is such a beautiful community event. We'll also be doing a community art piece. And so come on and, and put your color, your, your sign, your whatever you need on our community art piece because this is community and it's made up of everyone. I, I noticed in reading more about the event, Marjorie, that Black Love Day has been celebrated for the past 30 years. And you mentioned it falls on February the 13th? Yes, World Radio Day, too. I, apparently it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, you know, it, it, we, you know, had been going through looking for things that we could do in the community, and we're like, what? International Black Love Day? How come we didn't know about this? And we're going to celebrate that, too. So that began last year, and we had such a, a wonderful event and such an outpouring from the community that we knew we had to do it again. 
We will look forward to another excellent event on Saturday at the Black Baptist Church in Galt. Boy, boy, and Cambridge Community Players involved yes. as well. Yes. Well, it's now their building. It's their it building, sold, right. It was sold to the city in 1955 and has had different iterations thereof, but the facade and the whole setup is still there. And it's just marvelous to be able to use that space. I know it will be another great event marking Black History Month and the entire community invited to enjoy the Black Love Day celebrations on Saturday. Marjorie, again, thank you very much for making time for the show. Thanks for having us, Mike. That means everything. Marjorie Knight is the co-founder of Rhythm and Blues Cambridge. As you heard Marjorie explain, this is just a simple grassroots effort to provide a safe and engaging space to inspire and inform the black community in Cambridge. Because when Black History Month came along, all of these invitations were coming in for events here and there in Toronto. And Marjorie looked around and said, hang on, we've got our own community right here and we can celebrate right here. And the result is Rhythm and Blues Cambridge and the event this weekend, which I just thought made sense to talk about today. On Valentine's Day, the day we widely regard as a day for love, we look ahead to Saturday's Black Love Day at Cambridge Community Players, formerly the Galt Little Theatre, which was originally, if you take it all the way back to 1876, the first black Baptist church in Galt, which was then its own community and now makes up one of the beautiful parts of the city of Cambridge. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. Time for the local business spotlight on City News 570. And joined this morning by Wes Cowan, licensed insolvency trustee and senior vice president with MNP Financial. Wes, good morning. Good morning. I'm just curious as we're into a new year now, and I wonder if people are struggling with debt more in the first few months of any year and and why that might be the case. Yeah, we certainly find that. That seems to be the case. I think it has, has a lot to do with the fact that, you know, the, 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 the build-up to the holiday season is dramatic and, you know, there's lots of things going on and then we kind of hit January and get into February even and, you know, things aren't quite as exciting and we're back to reality. And, of course, for us here in Canada, we have, you know, some generally crummy weather and that can be a depressing factor for a lot of people too. And, of course, that sort of post-Christmas um, season debt comes back as well. For, so for some of us, we perhaps heated up the credit card a bit too much and we're finding that that's coming home and we have to deal with that along with some other debt concerns we might have. So the recent MNP debt survey index, uh, Wes, what are some of the mental health statistics that we see come out of that related to debt? Yeah, so we, this uh, Ipsos survey that we have done every quarter uh, helps to kind of gauge how people are doing in terms of their finances and in terms of their perception of how they're doing. And one of the things that's come out quite clearly in the last while is that, you know, it does have a significant impact on how we feel about ourselves, about life and all that kind of thing. And so about 60% of the uh, the people that responded said that uh, their, their debt situation causes them anxiety and about the same number uh, that it causes them stress. And for some of them, uh, about 40% say it causes embarrassment. They're obviously not happy about the situation they find themselves in, and they're embarrassed that maybe they've gotten to the point that they have. And more, it's more so even sort of post-pandemic, what's happened is that a lot of people have actually felt that they're quite isolated by the fact that they have debt. And that 
I, I think in part has to do with the fact that they don't have the financial resources to maybe do the things they used to and get together with people and go out and do things. And so they, you know, just sort of staying at home, which is kind of what we did during the pandemic because we had to. Now some folks are finding that they have to because of their financial situation. I have to think, Wes, that, you know, given rising interest rates, increasing costs at the grocery store, et cetera, that that more people are experiencing these concerns around debt. Is that is that borne out in the numbers of people that you might have calling, for example, or what you're seeing in survey results? That certainly seems to be the case, for sure. And we've even noticed in the last couple of months that the number of people that have reached out to us for some advice has gone up. And so it's a combination of things, for sure. In the last year or two, you know, we've seen, obviously, interest rate increases, which means that carrying debt is more expensive. It takes a bigger chunk out of your monthly budget. And then to add to that, it's more expensive to buy things. So we've got you know higher grocery costs, higher gas costs, all of those kinds of things. So put together, that can really put a strain on a family's budget. As we turn a calendar to a new year, inevitably people make their New Year's resolutions. And maybe this year's resolution was to get out of debt because people have been struggling with it. What might be a good strategy to stay on track and get there, get out of debt? Yeah, so the whole New Year's resolution thing, right? Everyone makes some kind of resolution, and whether that's to get to the gym or, or to clean up debt, that's it's always there. And some of us get disappointed not very far into the new year that we haven't gotten quite where we thought we would be. But, of course, one of the things is that you really have to have some sort of a a concrete plan in place. And for a lot of people, they've heard this term about having a SMART goal. And that means having something that's, you know, specific, that you know exactly what it is you want to do, that's measurable, you can tell that you're actually making some progress on it, that it's achievable, that it actually makes sense in relation to what you're capable of doing, that it's relevant, it means something to you and your situation, and that it's time-bound, that it's something that you can say, okay, at this stage, I want to be here, there, or somewhere else. And I think the biggest problem that people have, besides not maybe having a specific plan, is that they maybe take too big an approach to things. Sometimes it can, you know, the smallest things are still accomplishments. And if you do things, you know, regularly and even in small increments, you eventually get where you want to be. And so those are some tips, I think, on trying to stay on track in terms of those financial goals that you have. Yeah, and the good thing about it is it's immediately measurable. However incremental that goal, if it is reducing debt, you can visibly see the numbers start to come down. Exactly. So whether it's a matter of paying something down, maybe there's a smaller credit card you have and you just managed to pay that off completely, you'll feel good about that. Or if you manage to renegotiate some debt or, or, or uh, refinance some debt, so you've got a lower interest rate and therefore a lower payment, and that takes the pressure off your monthly budget, even better, right? Wes, it's always great to get your advice on the show. Thanks very much for being here. Thanks very much for having me. Wes Cowan is a licensed insolvency trustee and senior vice president with MNP Limited. You heard him mention that embarrassment that folks can feel. The first thing to do is make the call. Avoid the stigma and make that call. And you can do it at 310-DEBT. The local business spotlight, where your business comes first on City News 570. Well, have you ever really loved a woman? Love a woman to understand her. You gotta know what deep inside he 
hear every thought, see every dream, and give her wings when she wants to fly. Awesome, Brian Adams. And have you ever really loved a woman on this Valentine's Day here on the Mike Farwell Show? Rosanna sent us an email this morning after we began the show with what Billboard magazine claimed to be the greatest love song ever recorded. Endless Love, Diana Ross and Lionel Richie. And as I said at the time, lists like that, the greatest love songs are of all time, are written so that we debate them. And we probably have our own definition or version of the greatest love song of all time. And probably for very personal reasons. Billboard Magazine's greatest love song of all time was Endless Love. Rosanna's email says, Mike, the best love song ever is Brian Adams. Have you ever really loved a woman? You have to play this on your station on Valentine's Day, or at the very least, an honorable mention so we went as far as playing it even though i know i checked i double checked it's only wednesday this is not an all request friday on the mike farwell show that is only 48 hours away so if you don't yet have your request in for this week send an email to mike at 570news.com or when you call in perhaps during the next hour which is the 12 o'clock talk back hour Let Devin Robertson, the guy on the other side of the glass, know what your song, your preferred song would be on Friday. And we'll find a way to play a little bit of it for you during our all-request show. We are fast approaching the noon hour, an update from the City News Center and the end of our time at Rogers TV Cable 20. So thanks to Robert and the entire team for producing the TV side of this show. As I mentioned, the 12 o'clock talkback hour is coming up. Maybe you want to tell us your greatest love song of all time. Maybe you want to talk about this idea that you have to have your government ID ready before you even enter an LCBO store. Or how about, how about a referendum in Ontario on the carbon tax? Ontario Premier Doug Ford with some strong words while standing at a gas station in Mississauga yesterday. The 12 o'clock talk back hour is like an open book, and we'll fill in the pages coming up. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and so long, Rogers TV. Take out the papers and the trash. While the song may be a reminder that you ought not talk back to mom and dad, lest you get a backhand across the mouth. I know it sounds awful, but it used to happen. I've always had a big mouth, so I'm speaking from experience. We open up the phone lines every day from noon until 1 so we can hear from you. 519-570-2545. Star 570 and 1-800-570-5715. Rosanna was quick to email back 
to Mike at 570news.com. Thank you for playing my request on your station. Really made my day. If that's all it took, Rosanna, I'm glad that we could do that. Thanks for sending in the suggestion of your best love song ever. It's not an all-request Friday, but I figured, hey, what the heck. It is Valentine's Day after all. And as we celebrate all things love, why not add great love songs to the equation today? There is much for us to talk about, it occurs to me. I mean, we've got three area school boards, the Upper Grand District, Wellington Catholic District, and the Waterloo Catholic District School Board, joining a growing list of Ontario school boards, Toronto, Chatham-Kent, Sarnia areas, uh, which have been moving scheduled PA days in April to earlier in April. They're now going to be on April the 8th. That's because on April the 8th, we're going to have a solar eclipse. So rather than deal with the students and try to prevent them from looking at the sun and possibly suffering an eye injury, the schools are going to tell the kids to stay home, which, in my opinion, you're giving enough lead time. Like maybe parents will arrange time off work or something like that. I don't know how you usually do it when it comes to kids in school and PA days because we're past those times that we have to worry about childcare somewhere else in the community because, you know, we have to go to work and stuff. But it seems to me that by changing the PA day, the school boards are basically saying, we'll just make it the daycare provider's problem. I I can't help but think this has got to do with anything other than liability, right? Heaven forbid a child look at the sun through an unprotected eye and suffer some kind of injury and or damage to the eye, and then, well, the school would face some holy hell with the wrath of parents, right? So why not just make it a PA day, takes it completely out of the school's hands and the school board's hands and makes it somebody else's problem? I I can't help but think back. On the old days, I know I'm that guy, I'm the old guy, but I remember eclipses when I was a kid, and what would happen? They would close the curtains in the classroom, they would make us stay inside for recess and for lunch, etc. And that would be that. We did everything short of hiding under our desks. We only practiced that during air raid drills. Anyway, I find it interesting. But that's one of the things we could talk about. How about the fact that here in Ontario, at least in northwestern Ontario, LCBO customers are going to have to show ID before entering the store. It's called the Controlled Entrances Pilot. And it's meant to cut down on theft and other disruptions that are caused in the retail sector. So far, only six stores in northwestern Ontario. But come on with your coming on here. You want me to show ID before I even go into the store? And then what are you doing with that information you gather off my government-issued ID? And of course, here in Ontario, your license plate renewal is about to become automatic. So you won't even have to renew your license plate. We, haven't, we don't have to buy the stickers anymore. Now we don't have to renew the plate at all. And I'm sure that won't lead to more uninsured drivers on the road, right? Because we're not eliminating an important check and balance here. I don't know. Lots of things on my mind today. Let's go to the phones, find out what's on yours. Mark, good afternoon. Yo, Ranger Mike. Yo, Ranger Mark. How you doing, buddy? Great, buddy. How are you? Good, good. 
What do you think about that five-game suspension, Mike? Uh, I think the punishment fits the crime. And you know what? So do I. Good. Att- we he agree. Attacked, he attacked a player for scoring a goal. No, he didn't. He attacked a player for being uh, a player for being a punk. We ta- we went over we this. Talked about that. Yes. Ridley was Greg wrong. was being a punk. No. Yes. No. Yes. It, you can even give it a little tappity do in the net or let her rip. It's up to you. You, yeah, it, no, you know what, Mark, you're right. It is up to you. But if you choose to do what he did, he got what he deserved. And so did Morgan Riley. You really think he got what he deserved? hundred percent he got what he He needs a shot in the chops for doing that. Oh, my God, Mike. You're, you're something else. I'm telling you how it is. Okay. Okay. Okay, Mike. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. See ya. Morgan Riley, Leafs defenseman, five-game suspension for giving Ridley Gregg what he deserved. Sean, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Yeah, I was thinking about those idiots that put the swastika on the Cambridge Mosque. What I'm trying to figure out is what are they trying to say? Like, are they Nazis? Um, are the Muslim people Nazis? Is it like, do they even know what a swastika means? Uh, I mean, in some religions, it's a symbol of good luck and fortune. It's also the old German Hakenkreuz. So I, I'm, I'm really at a loss as to what they're actually trying to say. Are you sure, really, Sean, don't give them that much credit. Don't give yeah, them that I, much credit. I honestly think they're just mindless idiots who don't actually know what they're doing. No, nah, they're idiots, but they're not mindless. They are mindless. No, they're not. They don't, they don't even know what it means. Yes, they do. What do they think it means then? Uh, we, we know exactly, both of us know exactly what the swastika has come to represent, right? A symbol of the Nazi party. You honestly think they know that much history? Hundred mm, percent. That's not, are you kidding me? That's not a lot of history. We're not doing a deep dive there, Sean. Come on. We're, we're talking over eighty years ago. Uh, uh, sure. And yeah, who was the first prime minister of Canada? Johnny McDonald. Exactly. Like it's, there are certain parts of history, and that was way more than eighty years ago, my friend. There are certain parts of history that we just have ingrained in our minds, and the swastika I, and its message is absolutely I, one of them. I took civics in high school. I took civics in school. So are kids today, Sean. Yeah. Yeah. And anyway, don't don't give it don't give them the benefit of the doubt, please. Okay. Thanks for the call. (laughs) I'm sorry, but I'm not gonna go any further down that path. Well, they didn't know. They're just mindless idiots. No, they're not. Uh, this is the 12 o'clock talkback hour. It's all part of the Mike Farwell show every day from noon until one, right here on City News 570. It is the hour that you get to direct the conversation. Just give us a call. Let's have a chat. 519-570-2545. Star 570-1800-570-5715. Kyle, you had better be better than you were yesterday. (laughs) I don't know what was going on. I got vacation coming. My mind was all over the place. Oh, my goodness. Just focus for like 30 to 45 seconds, pal. Okay. Okay. What I'm going to say, I want to say... Happy Valentine's Day, handsome. And to you. You're going to have a great time. And not just to the people that are in a relationship, because I've been there too. The people that are not in a relationship, that are single, happy Valentine's Day to you too. Go out, get lots of McDonald's, get lots of ketchup, and enjoy your evening, whatever you're doing. So happy Valentine's Day to everybody that's in a relationship 
and not in a relationship. Thanks, Mike. Have a great day, my friend. Thanks, Kyle. <laughs> Appreciate the call. I would say the ketchup is optional. Uh, Stephen, good afternoon. Hi, Mike. Hi, Stephen. Uh, I'm a t- Hi. Uh, I'm a teacher at the uh, WRDSB. Yes. Um, and I was just calling about uh, the whole eclipse thing. Um, I, like, I'm just one teacher, and I can only speak for myself. But, like, uh, I, I think it's ridiculous that uh, school boards are um, changing the PA day, uh, trying to just, like, get out of the situation. Uh, I really think that they, that they need to seize the opportunity like a, as a learning opportunity like you cannot look at the sun due to a b and c uh i've already ordered a class set of uh like eclipse viewers um so that we can observe it safely and talk about it uh with our light unit um anyway i just wanted to call and say that not all teachers agree with this actually i would i would guess that not many do uh, Stephen, I appreciate the call. I really do. And kudos to you because I agree there is a valuable learning opportunity here. Now, Stephen said that he's with the Waterloo Region District School Board, our public board, which has not yet made any sort of decision as to whether or not it's following suit with the other nearby and further afield boards. Lots of boards in Ontario, including most recently Upper Grand District, which is the public board in the Guelph area, Wellington Catholic, the Catholic board in the Guelph area, and Waterloo Catholic. So far, the Waterloo region, the public board, has not made this decision. Uh, And it is what it is. As I said before, I really do think it comes down to liability and the school and the school boards wanting to avoid it. But I love where Stephen's coming from. I hope there are more teachers like him. And I hope that there are members of the board listening to what is an opportunity here for some good old-fashioned hands-on eyes on through the safety eclipse classes education here good on you Stephen. paul good afternoon so many years ago when they saw an eclipse they thought it was the end of the world oh yeah well those were the days but and here we are here we are the end of the world has not yet arrived oh not quite yet listen the um this whole thing about uh presenting your id before you can even get inside an lcbo it's ridiculous you know we gave up a long time ago, we gave up all rights to privacy. Long before Facebook and MySpace, what were some of the other ones? Uh, my class, MySpace. Um, <laughs> you know, like all those different things. We gave up all rights to privacy back in the day when somebody came up with this idea of this card called the Air Miles card. And you provide them with all your information. And in return, the, uh, you use it each time you go shopping, and they would turn around and they would give you points. You know? And, you know, you buy enough stuff and you might get a couple of free theater tickets. Meanwhile, we gave the, um, the data collectors access to all the information. We told them exactly what's in our shopping cart. We told them when we bought gas, when we bought liquor, when we bought groceries and what was in our grocery cart. Yeah, so those theater tickets were not free. No, exactly. (laughs) And they use that information to uh, push advertising on us. The uh, the guy that uh, um, 
they're watching this card every, every weekend through the summertime. They're seeing that he's heading up north and he's uh, he's shopping at different locations. They know that okay, he's traveling. He's traveling to a recreational spot. So let's target advertising for him. For um, well, let, let, let's push boats on him. You know, he's going up around Huntsville. Must be going boating or something. Are you so speaking from experience this, here, Paul? They use this information to. Uh, project what it is you're buying now in your shopping cart. The uh, the single guy has uh, bacon, eggs, and uh, uh, you know uh, fast food stuff. That's all they ever see in a shopping cart. And then one day they see the shopping cart has changed. Now he's buying uh, things. Maybe he's buying feminine products as well. Okay, this guy's. He's hooked up with somebody. So now we change our advertising scheme and we start pushing other things on him. The uh, We gave up that right when we started saying, you can see what our shopping cart is and how it changes over time and allowed them to start pushing stuff on us. Hey, you go to the liquor store, you use your uh, air miles card. <clears throat> okay. Why don't we share that information with his insurance company? All of a sudden, his insurance rates <laughs> could go up. Paul, I get it. I we, we we gave it up, and we gave it up willingly. I get we this. We do it on Facebook. So what does it matter if they have to scan your card before you can get into the liquor store because you already gave up all your rights? All right. Thank you, Paul. It matters because where does it stop? Where does it stop i for one i'm tired of it and the thing that gets me the most with scanning or showing id before even entering the store is because it's meant to cut down on thefts and violence etc which basically says to me you are guilty until proven innocent and i'm not okay with that it's the 12 o'clock talk back hour it's the mike farwell show city news 570 And right back to the phones we go. Terry, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Mike. Um, regarding this uh, license plates renewal, so what happens if you have outstanding fines owing? Like, how are they, They're going to have to contact you somehow. Otherwise, they can't re- automatically renew it. We're going to have to ask Doug Ford. No, well, you you brought the one about uh, you know about insurance, right? People you know don't have to go in, so they, you know how do you keep your insurance up to date? So my thought is, you know, if you have outstanding fines, they usually don't issue the sticker until you pay those. So I don't know how they're going to get around that, but they're going to have to. They're trying to cut down on issuing letters over the like mail over to you. So if if you do have fines owing, they're going to have to do that anyway. So it kind of defeats its own purpose. And uh, one more thing, Mike, regarding that Morgan Riley thing, I think that was basically uh, David slaying Goliath with uh, an exclamation point, don't you think? In what context? That the Ottawa well, Senators Ottawa, beat the Ottawa's Leafs in the game? Yeah, well, Ottawa are the little guys, and, you know, the Maple Leafs are the big bad Maple Leafs, right? The, the big Davids of the league, so they they just beat them. Sorry, the big Goliaths, so they just beat them, so they, they're just... Took that slap shot in the net as an exclamation mark. No, no, it's a punk. Ass. Terry, you know it's a punk move. Well, don't start I, with me. Well, no. Let me, yeah, you know it is. You know it's a punk move. You do so. The slap shot into the empty net. You know, Terry. Terry. It doesn't matter. Terry. Why don't you answer my question? You know it's a punk move. So you stop making. No, you're not. You're making up a. You're just. I'm not answering because it's not a punk move. If I was an Ottawa senator 
and Morgan Riley would have cross-checked someone, I would have made him eat his stick. How's that? Fine. But you okay. know that the slap shot into the empty net is not an exclamation point on David Slay's Goliath. It's a punk move. You it's know this. It I is can't so. answer that question because it's not a punk move. You're lying to me. Oh you Come God. on, Terry. You know enough about sports to know yes, that was I a do. punk move. No, no, it's not. Oh, disagree. Okay. How is that different than a guy dancing in the end zone? What? In, in football, don't they usually win the oh. don't, they, don't they do the... the, the do they get... Okay, you know, Terry, you know the answer to this. I, I'm just going to disagree with you then. You can dance in the end zone, well, but you had to work to get there. I'm right because Morgan Riley got a five-game suspension. So who's right on that one, Mike? No, 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 Terry. He got the five-game suspension, which he but deserved. if he hadn't cross-checked, he would have got nothing, and nobody would have cared. <laughs> but the, I, it doesn't I change... I nothing of it. I didn't see the game, but I saw the highlights. I thought nothing of it until I heard Terry, about the, the suspension. The, taking a slap shot into an empty net is a punk move. It's a goal, Mike. It's, it's a punk a, move. It's okay. a goal. Okay, Disagree. Anyway, I don't want to argue anymore. Thanks. Good. Mike. Me either. <laughs> Thanks to you too. I, I, when you get into the end zone, you do your touchdown dance, you fought your way into the end zone through all the players. It's an empty net. Just put the puck in and go home or get cross-checked in the face. Uh, this is the Mike Farwell Show. It's your 12 o'clock talk back hour on City News 570. I honestly cannot believe that Richard Southern was able to get through that story about the expanded Highway 7 with a straight face. In fairness, Richard is our Queen's Park Bureau chief. He ain't here, where we've been waiting for more than 40 years for this. Here's the, here's the new game, okay? Here, here's how it's going to work. Everybody play along at home. Here's the new game. What gets finished first? The new and expanded Highway 7 between Kitchener and Guelph? Or, or... The 10,000 homes through the Build Now initiative. Huh? huh? Which? What are we going to finish first? 10,000 homes or an expanded Highway 7? Tell you what we're going to do. We ain't going to finish either of them. That's my humble opinion here. Because I'm waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And all I've been doing is waiting. Uh, back to the phones on the 12 o'clock talk back. Mike, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mike. I'd like to talk to you about some of the uh, school board decisions recently. Particularly on this eclipse thing here, I think they're missing a learning opportunity. Um, I remember way back when, many, many years ago, when I was at Our Lady of Lourdes School in Waterloo, and we had a partial eclipse. The teachers taught us about the planet, the taught us about the eclipse, and one of the teachers had a pretty good telescope, and they brought in goggles so we could look at it and everything else. Um, I think they're just missing an opportunity there to educate people, and they should stop being such a nanny state. The other thing I'd like to talk to you about is that Palestinian situation. Um, I think people have got to watch their words and treat each other with respect on both sides. I remember my grandparents um, being of German heritage during World War II, telling me stories that my grandfather was interned for a bit. Um, people were calling them dirty Germans, DPs, and a whole bunch of other things, right? So on both sides, just treat people with respect and watch your words. And lastly, on Highway 7, Mike, that thing should be a drinking game. Every time they announce a new initiative of it, we should take a belt. Thank you, Mike. It's just, it's gotten ridiculous for me. It really has. Like, sure, let's reconstruct the Frederick Street Bridge. But 
we already reconstructed Wellington Street on ramps and off ramps. We've widened Victoria Street. We've expropriated businesses. It doesn't matter. Like, I mean, I guess it matters. Like, we're going to have an upgraded bridge in Kitchener. Lucky us. This highway's not happening. It's just not. And and I'm growing more and more doubtful that 10,000 attainable half-price homes are going to be built in this community with the Build Now initiative. So that's why I thought we'd play the game. What gets done first? On the school board thing, you can call it a nanny state if you wish. I just say uh, it's all about liability. It's all about liability and who is liable for any potential injury. Sonia, it's the 12 o'clock talk back. Good afternoon. Hello, how are you? I'm excellent, and how are you? I'm good. Good. So, um, I'm just calling about the LCBO thing. You betcha. I, I haven't heard your entire conversation about it, but I remember as a kid, the LCBO, we had a menu, basically, of all the liquors and wines, and you filled out a slip and you brought it to the counter, and then they would order pick it and bring it to the counter for you. That would cut back down on theft again. That's an excellent point. We did used to have to do that. You're absolutely right. Now, I know probably their thinking is we cut out the impulse buying of people because some people like to just buy things because they look pretty in the bottle. Been there. Right? <laughs> I didn't know that certain things exist because I don't see them. Sure. But if, they, if their real concern is theft, that could certainly help. Sonia, it's an excellent suggestion. I thank you for bringing it forward. And I take you to an email, a really, really good point, I think, made by Ian, who writes to Mike at 570news.com. Mike, another way to look at this situation could be these people are trying to solve a problem. From what you said, people stealing and otherwise causing problems. Compare this to random street checks. Police say in many jurisdictions that it is necessary to prevent crime. Do you see the difference here? One is random, one is not. You have heard of racial profiling. Again, not random. Of course, it is a presumption of guilt. It has been allowed for generations. Are you saying it now rises to the point where it shouldn't be tolerated because it could affect you? At least this isn't random. Just a thought. Ian, it's an excellent thought. Thanks for bringing it forward to the conversation during the 12 o'clock talkback hour here on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. Hang on a second. Back up the ding-dang truck. Richard Southern, now that he's finished laughing from the story about expanding Highway 7, sharing some breaking news moments ago. And I quote our Queen's Park Bureau Chief, The Ford government is cancelling an LCBO pilot project that tested asking everyone for ID before entering some locations. Quote, Over the past 24 hours, I have heard some serious concerns about the LCBO's newly announced pilot program. I've directed the LCBO to cancel it immediately, says our finance minister. Dear Finance Minister of Ontario, thank you for listening to the Mike Farwell Show. I think our work here is done. Good job by us. It's the 12 o'clock talk back hour. Uh, Back to the phones we go. Mark, good afternoon. Hi, Mike. Um, Are you back again? I am. I I really enjoyed uh, Terry's call. Shut up. He is Shut up. Stop it. He is bang on. Are you guys having lunch together right now? Uh, no. <laughs> um, and you are so off base on that. Yeah, one. Like, yeah, yeah. Your, your head is like turning around like the exorcist movie. <laughs> okay. J- 
Just letting you know. Thanks, buddy. Okay. All right. Have a great day. Listen, I'm going to be clear about this. Morgan Riley deserved the five-game suspension he got. I have no quibble with that. But also, Ridley Gregg deserved what he got because you don't take a slap shot into an empty net. That's all. That's all. It's a punk move. And when you make a punk move, you deserve to get some retribution. Simple as that. Chrissy, good afternoon. Hi, Mike. I'm just calling to find out how your house is smelling. Oh, Chrissy. You know, I'm <laughs> so I know this much. Going to the game last night and being in the company of many others, uh, I did not let off any foul odors that I'm aware of. They they were quick to say, no, okay. They even got close, you know, little sniff test. I, I passed. I'm not sure about the house yet. When I come back in after being away for a while, uh, I'm not sure, but maybe it's all in my head. So I don't think we're out of the woods yet. Okay, well, I just wanted to know if you tried the vinegar and if it worked. Oh, don't! there's vinegar in every room. <laughs> okay. Well, you take care. I just wanted to see if you got rid of... And then poor Rosie. I hope she smells better, too. She smells okay. divine. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> All right, Chrissy, appreciate that. If you didn't hear earlier this week, our poor little pup, I mean, I guarantee, like, this is the sweetest little dog. If you saw her face, you'd understand. Like, she is just the sweetest, sweetest puppy. And she went out after the Super Bowl on Sunday night late, and I think figured she was about to make a new friend in the backyard, except the friend was black with a white stripe. And oh my heavens, oh my heavens, did we have an ordeal. Rosie seems fine. I apparently have passed the smell test at the Kitchener Rangers game. The house, I think we're still working on. And the dog has been bathed multiple times, including by the professionals that forever loved Pet Salon. And I think she's all right. She certainly didn't suffer any ill effects, no eye issues or anything like that. So thanks for checking in, Chrissy. Steve, it's the 12 o'clock talk back. Over to you. Hi, Mike. Hi, Steve. I wanted to, I was going to go back to the some of the earlier comments about the uh, hate graffiti on the mosque that, um, on the mosque, I should say, that um, our prime minister condemned. Sure. Agreed. Agreed. But I I just, speaking of hate, I just wanted to mention a scenario that I had over the last three weeks and see what your comments are. I happened to go into, had to to drive into Toronto twice over the last month, and it just so happened I had to I needed Avenue Road exit. And at that exit, there was um, a lot of Palestinian protesters with a lot of anti-Semitic uh, jargon and, and, and chanting, including a flag of the Star of David with a red X through it. And those uh, the police um, didn't reopen that. In fact, they were delivering coffee. I'm just well, no, hang on. They, we, we've already gone through... <laughs> It, okay. No. Well, the, the police were not delivering coffee to protesters. Okay. Okay. We'll disagree. Uh, I'm okay. Gonna, Should uh, we? Well, I'll we can disagree. be. We can base this in fact, or we can just pretend we're disagreeing on an, an inaccurate statement. Okay. Well, if we're gonna, the only reason I'm saying we'll agree to disagree is because I don't agree with your facts. I, <laughs> okay. I, I have a different. You have fact. your own facts. You have your own set of facts that you're bringing to the show today. It's perfect. I love it. Okay. Like. Like your your alternative facts, sometimes. right? Yeah. Anyways, I, <laughs> what would those alternative I, facts be? I'm curious now. 
I think what you're trying to do now is to prohibit me from getting my point across. No, no. What I was trying, what I was trying to do, because you, you're good at that. You seize one thing that a, uh, <laughs> I just, a listener says. And he's got what curious. What I'm trying to ask you is, yeah. do you feel that our prime minister should be as vocal against hate crimes and hateful acts, whether police deliver coffee or not, to anti-Semitic protesters as he did uh, against uh, anti-Islamic fo- uh, gestures like we saw. 100%. 100%. Without question. Without equivocation. 100%. Then we agree to agree. I didn't think that would happen. But, but I want to know now, now since I answered your question directly, please, Steve, you talked about the alternative facts that I use. Please share one with me. What alternative facts? I think, I think what we're, gonna, we're quibbling about is the delivering of coffee. It's not that police went out and bought coffee for the protesters. The pro, other protesters brought coffee to their, comer, to their friends and couldn't get the coffee to the protesters. So the, the police delivered, kind of like the Pony Express, right. delivered some of the coffee to the protesters. Okay, so what Steve... You're, what you're trying to say is suggest that I'm suggesting that police officers went to Tim Hortons and bought the coffee and hand-delivered it. Steve, let me, okay, said, so, okay, right. but uh, Steve, now hang on. I have indulged right. you. I have answered directly your question. Now work with me here and answer some of mine, okay? Sure. Okay. Pretend you're a police officer and you've got, like, let's say 60 people on a bridge in a dangerous situation, okay? An unsafe yep. situation. Okay. Yeah. So yep. now you have another 30 people who want to bring coffee to the 60 people. So you've got a choice to make. You either let a crowd of 60 become 90, or you become, in your words, the Pony Express. What are you going to do in that situation? I'm going to be the Pony Express. Okay. Good stuff. But so we agree again. But what, I'm say- yeah, I, but what I'm saying is, when I say something like that, you, the, you change it to suggest that somehow that I suggested the police were in cahoots not with true. The what I did, by del- because the what I did, the Steve, is, hang on, Steve, they did deliver it. Steve, they did deliver Steve, if you want to, yelling is not going to help you make your point better. It's, it's Steve. I beg, what did I call it? Did I call you a different name? I'm sorry. Dave, it's Steve. You're right. Steve, okay. I'll, I'll be quiet now. Okay. I'm so, interested to hear what you have to say. Well, all I want to make clear is that when you make a statement like police delivered coffee, that tells a certain story. And I just wanted to make sure that we were telling the accurate story, right? Right. Okay. That's all. And we have now. Okay. We've told the accurate story. Yeah, we have. Perfect. Take care. You as well. Great hearing from you. It's the 12 o'clock talkback hour on the Mike Farwell Show. City News 570. Oh, 60 seconds remain, but I like to live dangerously. Keeps the adrenaline pumping. I'm going back to the phones, baby. I'm doing it. David, good afternoon. Hey, Mike. David here. Like, very, very quickly. The lingering uh, stunk smell. Uh, once upon a time, uh, last century, uh, there was a rabbit skunk in my backyard. Neighbors saw it. The police came. Shot it. The skunk under my deck uh, was before dinner, and Sutton and I said, "Oh, this is awful." 
So we went out to eat, and we went out to the Red Lobster in Kitchener, uh, went in, had a great dinner with uh, Susan, our three kids, then they were small Mike, and we came back out to the vehicle, and we opened the door. What a terrible smell out of our vehicle. And, and we had just had a lovely dinner. The waitress didn't say anything to us, Mike. David, I love it. That was a very good server that you had that night because I guarantee dang tea. You smelled to the high heavens. Uh, love Brenda's email. I'll leave it on this to Mike at 570news.com. Mike, I have a question for you. Why do you so strongly say February? I get that. But why don't you say it's Wednesday, February 14th? One thing at a time, Brenda. One thing at a time. An update from the City News Center is coming up then. Now you know with Rob Snow taking you through until 3 this afternoon. Devin Robertson is the guy on the other side of the glass. My name is Mike Farwell. Bye for now.